0: so thanks so much for tuning in and my guest today has been on the front lines of the cannabis reform movement for as long as i've been and as long as i can remember she's a loyola trained lawyer who worked for the marijuana policy project as state policy director has been critical i'm going to tell you to expanding state access in all the new states that have expanded. I last teamed up with her in a successful effort to help pass the medical cannabis legislation in Pennsylvania and realized that she's too often really the unsung hero of this entire movement. People need to know who you are. Karen O'Keefe, thank you so much for being a part of today's podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for the wonderful introduction and everything you've done to move cannabis policy forward.
0: Well, I gotta tell you though, I mean, I really believe that you have been, you're you're my inspiration. I mean, literally you have been here since day one, since I got involved. And what people don't understand and I I think, uh, you know, I got involved honestly in the movement really 2001-ish, middle of 2001, but girlfriend, you were there banging away in New Jersey, banging away in New York, banging away in Connecticut, banging away in Maine, banging away across America. (laughs) So thank you for all the hard work you have done on behalf of everybody who's been a part of this movement.
1: I'm very fortunate to have a job I love and to work with wonderful people like you to make a more just country.
0: Let's, let's back up a little bit, though. I, I'm going to take you back, and I, I'm sorry to do it. I'll take you back 20 years, and you're you know, only 21 years old. I so higher <laughs> you were 1 years old. But, I mean, you know, let's go back to, to early 2000. I mean, what brought you to the movement?
1: So, um, in 2000, I was actually in law school, uh, Loyola, New Orleans, and I did a lot of criminal <laughs>
0: defense. You're not. Come on. You don't look like you're old enough to have been in law school in 2000. Okay. <laughs> well,
1: I was a little younger than other people, but <laughs> I have a baby face, I guess. Yes. So I, uh, I did some criminal defense my last year of law school and I saw what the stats have backed up throughout the country that Marijuana arrests disproportionately fallen people of color and in Louisiana, they were exceptionally harsh. So one of the cases that I worked on was an appeal. Um, The gentleman had been sentenced to 20 years for third offense drug offenses just for possession of marijuana. And it, of course, was horribly unjust and um, still kind of gnaws at me.
0: Wow. So that's what brought you to the movement. Then what, what shifted you over and got you involved with MPP?
1: Well, um, after law school, I uh, moved to Washington DC and I just looked for a job that fit what I believed in and MPP people he was hiring. And so since then I was hooked. It's every year just about we've had more and more victories to chip away and move the ball forward.
0: That's one of the days when uh, your infamous leader, uh, Peter Lewis was still alive. So I know you work with him quite a bit and, uh, and let's talk about those early years, because it's a, when I got involved, again, I think we were testifying in New Jersey before then-Governor Corzine. I remember also testifying in Connecticut in front of their little state for, or uh, legislative body. And, um, you know, it was different back then than it is today.
1: It was. Uh, Back then, about 35% of the population supported making marijuana legal. Now it's 66%. When I started, there were a grand total of eight states with medical cannabis laws on the books. I think all but one of them had been passed by voter initiative. And now we've seen some of the reddest states in the country uh, pass medical cannabis, some by legislation, some by voter initiative. So we've had a massive shift in both public opinion and lawmakers' uh, willingness to enact these laws. But it's still has
0: a long way to go. No, you you threw out. You said sixty six percent of the people in the country seem to support medical marijuana laws, but I've seen numbers high as eighty one percent. I've seen numbers in some polls coming back in the, the mid, you know, mid eighties. Um, let's talk about right now. What is? And I've heard you know conflicting numbers in the last couple of weeks during my podcast. What is the exact number of states that have now passed some form of either medical or recreational, or sorry, adult use? Cannabis law.
1: So um, on the polls for 66% support legalization completely. I've seen 93% in one poll for medical, which is more people than believe that humans landed on the moon, which is truly astounding. (laughs) There's almost nothing that has that much support. So for states that have some kind of law on the books, acknowledging marijuana's medical value, I'd say 49 have at least something symbolic. Idaho is the lone wife's absolutely nothing. We have to say comprehensive medical marijuana laws. Um, but then there's another four or so that have more limited laws that are limited only to low THC preparations, but that still allow some kind of access. So you can go to a dispensary with a doctor's recommendation and get something, just not as many. And then there are 11 states that have legalized marijuana for adults generally, not just for medical use.
0: But I mean, Karen, have you seen anything like this in? Previous initiatives in in the country where you have this number of states that support cannabis, yet the feds still puts the brakes on.
1: No, it's really astounding to have two thirds of the country now, more than two thirds of the country, have openly operating stores with the blessing of the state that are actually committing federal felonies every single day, and more bizarrely, Congress has those laws on the books still that criminalize marijuana, but every year since 2014, they passed a rider that says the Department of Justice cannot use any of the funds appropriated to target state compliance medical marijuana businesses. So essentially they're saying, here's the law, but ignore it.
0: Do you fear that if in fact, you know, we don't see a blue wave coming in November and we get a red wave, do you think that uh, that'll be another one of these laws that you know, this administration goes after?
1: Um, Well, the administration's been in power for four years, and there were some worrying signs for a a little bit there. Jeff Sessions indicated and did repeal the coal memo that was kind of protecting businesses. Um, It didn't happen, and given the enormous political support for not only making marijuana legal, but not targeting these businesses. And given the number of even red states that have these laws on the books, um, I'm optimistic that we can keep the pressure up and that we won't see a backsliding. And two of the states, there are four states that have legalization initiatives on the ballot, and two of them are deep red. One of them is South Dakota and another is Montana. So for, you know, the more red states and the more states in general pass these laws, the more pressure there is not to have them thwarted by the federal government.
0: So now we have New Jersey, Arizona, South Dakota, and Montana all have ballot initiatives to convert over to adult use, or what you would call recreational, and then South Dakota and Mississippi. And when I saw Mississippi, I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Doesn't Mississippi already have a medical marijuana law? But I guess they don't, even though the University of Mississippi has been dispensing cannabis, marijuana, to patients for now over 50 years.
1: That's right. So the federal marijuana is all grown in Mississippi, but people who live in Mississippi have no access to legal medical marijuana.
0: Which is another one of these insanities. Let's, let's do some general talking, you know, about just the whole idea. I mean, let's start right there. A lot of people in this country are not aware of the fact that under G-W or G.H.W. Bush, Daddy Bush, he passed an a I guess it was a humanitarian, you know, he did it. Did he do that by executive order?
1: You know, I wish I remembered. I, I know there was a patient named Randall and I'm forgetting his last name who sued after being arrested for growing marijuana in DC. And then they opened this compassionate use program to him and a relatively small number of other patients had signed up.
0: Yeah. It was about, I think it was 20 at the first, the 20, they opened it to 20 patients and then they got, inundated with thousands of requests from patients who back then, because, you know, the AIDS pandemic was starting. And so, you know, lots of people flooded in and they shut the program down, but they kept it in place. And so for a lot of people who are tuning in right now for the first time to, you know, our podcast, you know, a lot of people didn't know that the federal government made a law that allowed for the University of Mississippi to grow, package, and send out across the country to 20 patients once a month every single month for now over 50 years cannabis that these people ended up getting a small card that they could that that basically said it was a get out of jail card that said I can carry my cannabis anywhere I want in the entire country and leave me alone cuz the president said it's okay and we have done this in indescri- every single senatorial bill every bill that's passed has been a budget for the United States government has included a budget line that has paid for this University of Mississippi program for over 50 years, yet we are still arguing today and we have somebody who is ignorant like a Jeff Sessions stand-up and say, well, there is no medical marijuana usage. In the, uh, uh, there's no truth to it. I, I, I felt like saying, but can somebody just smack him upside the back of his head? But a lot of people don't know this. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's two surviving patients that are still every month getting a tin of cannabis from the federal government. Well, the government at the same time fails to acknowledge
0: cannabis as medical herb, And I, I even had one of Irv's canisters and I've kept it and held on to it, you know, now for almost 20 years myself. It's really kind of just ridiculous that we are still arguing the medical viability and medical efficaciousness of a product that our government itself believes is medically efficacious.
1: And at the same time, the federal government will say again and again, there's not enough research And then they'll make it exceptionally difficult to conduct the kind of studies they say are needed. And at the same time, there are dozens and dozens, hundreds actually, of studies on medical cannabis, some of which are the placebo-controlled double-blind standard studies that are the gold standard of studies. And the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine reported on all these studies and found that there is conclusive or substantial evidence that cannabis helps for some things, including chronic pain. So at the same time that the most prestigious medical body in the country says it works, the federal government still closes its eyes to it.
0: And even let's let's layer on a little bit more. But the fact of the matter is that that back in 1998 and a half, our federal government went ahead and wrote an application for a patent on components from cannabis, CBD particularly and granted itself a patent in 2002. And in its own abstract, it reports clearly what it believes the medical efficaciousness is of the plant and has controlled that patent ever since. And yet we still say that it's not medically viable. How ignorant is this? Do you, do uh, do these conversations come up in some of the discussions that you have when you go around to different states, especially now, The last few, and again, I'm sorry, I I missed a little, you broke up a little bit, but so this year we will go from 35 to possibly 41 states that agree with some form of formal medical or adult usage law?
1: So we count 33 states as having comprehensive medical cannabis laws, and we could have two more, Mississippi and South Dakota. So that would put us at 35 by our count, but there's a lot of states kind of in the middle that could arguably be counted.
0: Okay. All right. So still, but 35, that is well over, you know, seven, that's right. 74%. So we we literally right now are sitting at a position where this large, a number of people. And again, you said 90 plus percentage of people believe in medical cannabis and especially coming out of this COVID pandemic. I bet you that number even goes up even higher because we've seen that cannabis sales. Cannabis has been the only pandemic, you know, um, recession proof business in this country mm-hmm.
1: Yeah
0: and considered uh, an essential service in almost every one of the country the states that have passed the law.
1: Thank goodness, because if there wasn't, then people couldn't get their medical cannabis.
0: Correct, and which would be insane, especially right now. I can just imagine how you know people would be reacting to having to revert back to drinking instead of using cannabis. and I don't know where we'd be as a nation.
1: Or using opiates or far more dangerous drugs than cannabis.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the states that you're working on directly right now. You clearly are involved in what's going on in uh, New Jersey, Arizona, San Diego, or sorry, South Dakota, and Montana. What's it look like? And do you think that these ballot initiatives will go through?
1: So the polling looks good, but we can never take anything for granted. The more people volunteer and donate, the better chance all of these measures have. Um, South Dakota it will be the first time ever a state votes on both medical marijuana and legalization. And it's actually a state, I think the only state, where voters previously voted down medical cannabis. Um, so that's the one we're mobilizing the most to have volunteers and people can go to the website Uh, SD2020.org slash volunteer, if they wanna sign up from home, they can do text messages, make phone calls, otherwise help out. We wouldn't have run the initiatives if polling didn't look like they were all winnable, but um, certainly you don't wanna ever take anything for granted. And it's really important that people mobilize and, and help all of these initiatives happen. In the legalization states, these are all states that don't even have decriminalization yet. So people just for simple possession, are getting criminal records and going to jail in all four of the states where it's on ballot, which makes it all the more important that this pass.
0: Wow. And now tell me about Mississippi's got something weird going on there too, correct?
1: Yeah. So they have two different medical marijuana initiatives. One of them is fairly broad. It has a good list of qualifying conditions, uh, a pretty open market, so people have plenty of access to medical cannabis and then the legislature passed a competing initiative that they put on the ballot that essentially lets the legislature write the rules the same legislature that failed to enact medical marijuana year after year after year and it's written in a very restrictive way so there's no reason to think that if um, 65a which is the legislative one passed that there would actually be a good workable program it could have very few qualifying conditions it could just be um, certain strains certain preparations with almost no access in the state so voters will be asked A, first, do you want either or neither initiative to pass? And then they'll be asked, if one passes, which one do you want? So to support a good medical care cannabis proposal, they should say either and then 65, which is the broader initiative that will have a pretty broad range of qualifying conditions and
0: access. Do you think this was just done in some tricky-dicky way to, you know, Confuse the electorate so that they don't know what to pick, and then if they pick the legislative one, then they can say, well, you passed it, so leave us alone. We'll do it when we get to it.
1: Yep, that's the concern. The legislature has not been at all supportive of medical cannabis, so there's no reason to think this was a good faith effort to put forth a workable proposal.
0: Wow, so and how many people in Mississippi are aware of this? I don't know, but I
1: know the campaign's working hard to educate as many people as possible to reduce the chance
0: of confusion
1: and it not passing.
0: Okay. And, you know, now that, again, crystal ball me for a second. So if let's say at the end of this session or November 4th, we wake up and all these pass, do you think this will swing the pendulum a little bit in the way to make the Fed say we got to do something. And, you know, then I then I got to guess. I mean, it depends on who ends up winning the, the big seat, because, you know, if it's if it's the current guy, he's going to wait for, you know, his Uday and Kuse to figure out how they can make money before he allows anybody to make money. Right.
1: We'll see. Um, Donald Trump said that he supports the States Act, which would at least have a hands off position on uh, state marijuana laws. He said that a while ago, but he doesn't seem to have done a whole lot to try to make it happen. There are certainly some Republicans in the Senate that have been supportive. Cory Gardner in Colorado uh, and the two senators from Alaska have been both supportive. So, you know, the more states move forward, the better the chances are for federal progress, regardless. And the more popular support increases, the sooner it'll happen. Um, So we'll be pushing whoever wins the Senate and whoever wins the presidency for as much reform as possible, we certainly prefer the MORE Act, which is the most comprehensive and would deschedule cannabis uh, nationwide and would include robust social equity provisions as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, then we'll come back and talk about the social equity positions because I mean, I, I, I've been a little less heartened by some of the initiatives across the country right now. Anyway, because a lot of them have been just token initiatives rather than real initiatives. But you know, let's talk about that in a minute. But this war on cannabis has been just ridiculously devastating to our communities as a whole. And, you know, you've got some ideas about how we can start to repair some of this damage. What, what would that look like?
1: So the three main things that we push to be in legislation are, um, first, having a substantial amount of the tax revenue go to those same communities that have been so disproportionately targeted by the war on marijuana. Second, making sure that the industry itself is inclusive and diverse and has real opportunities for the communities most hard hit by the war on drugs. Uh, so that's ownership of businesses, management and staffing. Uh, and finally, making sure that we wipe out the past records and ideally release people from prison that have been incarcerated for something and that have been marked with a scarlet letter of a conviction for something that's not legal.:
0: That's right. So I, I, I've been working a little bit with the, you know, a, a program that um, Stevie D has been involved with uh, in California and trying my best. I think it's the last prison project mm-hmm. and trying the, my best to help as much as I possibly can. But it, it seems, you know, I've, I've said this over and over again. I think one of the biggest issues that still faces the cannabis industry is education. You know, we have tried our best and there's a lot of people who jumped in this business in the last three or four years because it's, you know, the gold rush, green rush in their mind and fail to educate. Number one, the consumer and number two, fail to educate the masses in general. I mean, I think, you know, we're we're living at a time where a lot of people don't understand. It's that it's been the baby boomers that have legislatively moved this forward. You look at the age group of, of most of the legislators across the country. You know, when we started seeing baby boomers kind of hit the hit the spot, where they're now, you know, local senators and 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 people in, in politics, they kind of remember. Hmm, I remember when I was in high school, my kids, my my brother and sister were doing it, and they didn't turn into heroin addicts, so maybe it's okay. So. I don't understand why this industry doesn't spend more time funding organizations like yours, but funding those organizations that are educating people across the country as to the value. What are we going to do and how do we change that?
1: Yeah. Well, anything you can do to help get out the word is most appreciated. Anyone who wants to donate, to plug in to our email alerts, so they can contact their elected officials. Our website's marijuanapolicy.org or mpp.org. Um, we certainly do some public education, but we're a pretty scrappy, small nonprofit. And I think the same is true for a lot of the movement in general. Um, so most of our advocacy and education focuses on those states where we're working on a bill or working on a ballot initiative. Luckily, we already have massive public support. It's just translating that public support into laws. And there's been a longstanding perception among some elected officials that cannabis is uh, cannabis policy reform is far more controversial than it is. And that's just not the case. We talked about the numbers early on. There are so many issues that move forward that have far, far less support than making marijuana legal, and especially than medical cannabis.
0: Well, especially when you look at it again from a recession-proof business tax opportunity, I can't see why a lot of states you know, can't just look at what's happened in the last six months and recognize how much value this would be to their state coffers.
1: Yep. So um, Vermont is on the verge. It's one signature away from legalizing sales of marijuana. It would be the second state ever to pass a comprehensive legalization law through the legislature and the governor. And then there's as many as 10 other states that are seriously looking at it legislatively next year. So our hope is, you know, when you, put together all of the other reasons to make marijuana legal, the strong popular support, and you look at the issues that these lawmakers are facing, where they have huge budget deficits and huge numbers of people newly out of work that need jobs, um, especially when you compare making marijuana legal to other options, it's a no-brainer. It creates tens of thousands of new jobs, hundreds of millions of dollars of new revenue, and it can be built in a way that is equitable and inclusive, and lifts up communities that have
0: been the hardest hit by the war on drugs. Well, what kind of impact do you think this farm bill has had on the movement in general? Because I think a lot of people think that just because you passed some laws that allow for hemp and there's the argument about what, who tested it to make sure that it's the exact number. And if, you know, one plant in an entire truck turns out to be a little just point zero zero uh, one too high, you burn the whole truck, which is really stupid. Um, but that seems to have been, you know, something again, I think that the Senate did to placate and then also used to actually enforce the draconian laws more than actually open them up.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it was the first major federal step forward on the plant, cannabis slash hemp. Um, so it's certainly progress and it could be built from it changed the mindset of some people from this um you know Mitch McConnell obviously embraced the Farm Act and was a champion of it so far he hasn't had a similar revelation when it comes to marijuana in general but I think it's moved things forward a little bit Um, but we certainly need a lot bigger progress still.
0: He's got to make a little bit more money that's what he's got to do and he's already made quite a bit I think if you take a look at you know his net worth before the passage of the Farm Bill and his net worth after Somehow, some of that seems to have slipped into his bank account. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. But um, so how do we get more and more? And again, I, it's a the redundant question, but I want to try to figure out how do we kind of push the pendulum a little further? I mean, since conservatives are the ones that are kind of holding back, how do we educate them enough? They the, the information is there. What do we got to do? Go down and start, you know, waving signs in front of their office, you know, marching. Yeah, again. Everyone should
1: write letters to the editor, call your elected official, post to their Twitter page, do so in a respectful, polite way. There are so many people among the public at large and elected officials that have moved on this issue. You know, we've had a doubling of popular support for legalization. And a lot of lawmakers are in the same position where they have questions, they have concerns, but we've seen many, many, many change their position from dead set opposed to understanding that regulation is a better course of action. Uh, People who have a personal story, you know, meeting in person, sharing that with the elected official, uh, really constituent outreach in state legislative districts is huge. So many state legislators have very small districts and especially in some of the smaller states and just a handful of people reaching out can help. It's election season, so a lot of the lawmakers most in many states are trying to get reelected, raising it with candidates for state senate, for state um, legislature is helpful and those candidates who are supportive, you know, considering donating to them if a the person otherwise supports them or volunteering. A lot of these lawmakers only have a handful of volunteers, so to kind of solidify this issue and also to help elect people that are allies, it's worth engaging um paying attention to when legislative hearings are coming up and submitting re- written testimony and otherwise just raising the profile and your voices and showing up for lobby days showing up for rallies uh doing so in a respectful non-hostile way is something i would encourage everyone to do
0: look i got to take a little break pay some bills and uh when we come back let's talk a little bit more about just you know in general, some of the success stories that we've now started to hear across the country. And because a lot of people don't hear a lot of success. We hear, you know, it's going to go the way of California. They seem to use California as a bad example of how uh, cannabis laws can be put in place. And when you take a look at California, I think California's made a couple of missteps. You know, they have taxed the product so highly that, you know, you've opened the door to a black market again. So let's talk a little bit more about success stories when we come back. We'll take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. And my guest today has been on the front lines of cannabis reform movement for as long as I've been. She's a loyal, a trained lawyer and a work in marijuana policy project at the state as the state director of policy has been critical in expanding safe access to cannabis in lots of states and especially all the new states across the country. Again, thank you so much, Karen O'Keefe, for being a part of the show today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah. Talk a little bit about some of the success stories that we've had. So that people understand that marijuana has not been this thing that most people think it was going to be. Oh, my God, it's going to ruin my children's lives. We know for a fact now in a lot of the states and majority of states that have passed a medical marijuana bill that opioid addiction has gone down because recent studies have proven that cannabis is an exit drug for opioid addiction rather than an entree to talk a little bit about some of the other successes that we've had in the industry.
1: Sure, so in both uh, medical cannabis and legalization, opponents long made it sound like this would cause teenagers to use more marijuana. Graduation rates would go down, workplace injuries would go up. Now it's been eight years since the first two states legalized marijuana and none of that has happened. Uh, There's before and after data on teen marijuana use. As a whole, there's no increase. A bunch of them are down a little bit within the margin of error and a few are up within the margin of error, meaning as a whole, it's stable. Graduation rates are up and uh, the number of people who have workplace injuries in Colorado and Washington is down, meaning they're paying less for workers count because fewer people are getting injured and those that are getting injured are having less serious injuries. So we haven't seen any of the kind of horrible things that opponents predicted. What we have seen is in Washington state, the state has brought in over $2 billion in cannabis tax revenue. Since sales began in 2014, and when you think about what that money means, you know it can mean they put a lot of it into Medicaid for more people to have insurance. The kind of impact it has on people's lives to be able to have medical care is just huge. It's not just you know a number and money. And we've also seen uh, 40,000 people signed up to work directly in the marijuana industry in Colorado alone. So these are people that might otherwise be unemployed in the midst of a pandemic that have jobs that are able to bring in revenue and to put it into their local economies. We've also seen the number of people that are searched when they're stopped at a traffic stop decrease dramatically. So we think of the awareness we have of just how risky it is to have unnecessary police-civilian interaction, the possibility of violence, even death, especially for Black Americans, and just reducing those number of searches by having police not be able to say, I smell marijuana, and then search a person uh, is huge. We've seen arrest numbers go down in the states where marijuana is legal. Uh, We would like it to go down even more, but the fact that we have 40 states with prohibition means that there's still illegal production and illegal sales, and we still see some arrests in that area.
0: We have seen in California, which just staggeringly um, you know, offensive to me, we've seen the numbers of arrests go up. Now, what's that all about?
1: California has been a mess forever. So California's medical marijuana law was not, it didn't involve any state licensing or any state regulation for the most part. Um, growers weren't regulated at all, and some of the businesses were licensed by cities for the dispensaries, others weren't. So in LA, which I'm right next to, there were literally hundreds of openly operating storefronts that were completely illegal. So the consumer has no idea what's legal and what's not. Um, legalization happened back in 2016 and they have been very, very slow to roll out legal businesses. So at the same time, you still have these openly operating storefronts that are illegal that haven't had the opportunity to transition and become legal regulated stores because it's been very, very slow. So it's, you know, it's really sad that there's still been such a slow transition and that we're still seeing so many arrests and that it's actually increased. We need more rapid transitions to legal regulated stores so consumers are safe. Um, when you have these illegal stores, it's a danger to people working there and it's a danger to consumers. We actually saw a butane hash factory that was illegal. It replaced selling butane extracts that blew up and injured 10, I think 11 firefighters recently. And we've seen huge numbers of these illegal products that are being sold at illegal dispensaries and produced illegally, testing positive for additives that can be very dangerous and pesticides that can convert to hydrogen cyanide. So it's, in my mind, legitimate to try to Get rid of the illegal products, but you need to have people have a quick, easy transition to legal market. And that has not happened. And part of it's just because of the enormous legacy market. Part of it is because California has long supplied other states. So as long as the 40 other states have marijuana illegal, someone's going to be growing that marijuana. And a lot of it's grown in national parks. There's huge issues with hazardous waste waste. I've seen issues with workers being exploited sexually, having their wages stolen. So it's not that all illegal operators are bad necessarily, but as long as something's unregulated, there are so many possible risks for workers, the environment, and communities, um, and prohibition really is the cause of that. And the more states have prohibition, the more you're going to continue to see this kind of activity go unabated.
0: You know, it, it, it drives me crazy that we as an industry, though, don't do enough to police ourselves. I I know, you know, MVP has been here for 20 years and, you know, an organization that I turn to for information and turn to to, to see if I can be of any help. Um, why can't, you know, there was a period before the pandemic where we were seeing, you know, multiple conventions all over the country. And you know, I was speaking at several of them and, you know, would roll in and it would seem like it was. You know, some brand new statement when I would say, when are we going to stop fighting amongst each other and start trying to work together? And, you know, I get these rousing applauses if I said something new. That's not new. I mean, I, I don't understand what's it going to take for this industry to, A, police itself, and B, come together.
1: Yeah, um, I certainly would like to see more of it. You know, there's always going to be some tensions within the industry. There's the desire to have you know, from a lot of people to have small businesses and um, others that want to have larger businesses. Um, But I'm not sure any industry can completely police itself. You know, you just have the economic incentive. If there's some in my opinion, you need some kind of rules and somebody enforcing rules to make sure that pesticides aren't used that are illegal and that you don't have additives that are dangerous and that you have that kind of thing. So I think there's certainly a role for regulators, but it would be great to see more cohesion within the industry to push for these things. And we have seen some developments. We've seen NCIA and others come up with policy positions, suggestions for testing, but it's a, it's a small nascent industry and it certainly hasn't matured as much as um, hopefully it will soon.
0: If you had a crystal ball that you could put on, I mean, if in two ways, one, crystal ball, when you think the Fed, will? you just said we have you know, six states, this go around, and then next year we'll have 10 states that are going to put forth a separate type of initiative. When do you, how can you crystal ball and think what might happen? And again, yes, it depends on who's sitting in the main seat, but yeah. what do you think?
1: I think it could happen within two to five years, depending on how quickly things move, depending who's in power, depending how quickly we mobilize. Um, And I suspect we won't see at the point marijuana is federally legal, it's still illegal in 40 states, of course. So you still would have the state by state battle because 99% of all arrests are at the state and local level. Changing federal prohibition would be huge and would prevent immigration issues. It would prevent banking issues. It would prevent the lingering criminality. um, But it's not a complete fix. But I think it could happen as soon as two to five years, but it could be a lot slower. You know, we've had huge support for medical cannabis for a very long time, and even that isn't federally legal yet.
0: And that's really interesting. Again, I I was one of these people who thought all along that, you know, we were going to get this shift where we would go to adult use and then kind of shift back to medical use, especially as our population ages. Because I think, again, Baby boomers, there's a lot of them out there that remember being in high school and sneaking under the bleachers and smoking a joint. And they have had successful careers their entire lives never went on to be heroin addicts. And so they've changed their attitude a little bit, especially some of them are looking at their medicine cabinet and seeing, you know, 15 to 16 prescriptions and recognize that, you know, they can reduce some of that using cannabinoids. And there's been so much research that's been done that's talking about now the efficaciousness as a cannabinoid for, you know, as an anti-inflammatory. Um... And um, so I guess, you know, do you, do you think that we're just going to have to let this whole generation die out before we see a change?
1: No, we've seen, you know, if we've got Mississippi voting on medical marijuana, and South Dakota and Montana voting on legalization, um, we've seen the polls show an increase both in overall and within each generation. So we still have less support, the older generations you look to, but each of them are increasing within each generation too. And I think it's something, you know, a lot of people had assumptions of what would happen once marijuana is legal, but it's been eight years now. So you've had time to see the sky didn't fall. And interestingly, you mentioned medical cannabis. The majority of people who are using medical marijuana through these adult use laws are actually using it for medical purposes. There was a
0: No, go ahead. Keep going. I'm just nodding yes to you because, you know, I I have been a a person who just believes and I've talked about it quite a bit on the show that I think anybody who's drawn to cannabis is drawn to cannabis for a medical reason. Anyway, may not, they may not even recognize themselves, even if it's a matter of wanting to relax, wanting to, you know, come home and, 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 or go to sleep better, or, or just in general, feel better, just general health and wellness. I think people who gravitate towards cannabis are doing so for an underlying medical reason, even if they don't admit it, but go ahead.
1: So in Denver, there was a survey of 1,000 people buying from the adult use, not the medical counter. They didn't have a card or a recommendation. And of them, more than 60% said they were using it for pain, and more than 70% said they were using it for insomnia. I might have those numbers reversed, but they're both over 60%. And most of those people said they were using it in lieu of or were reducing their other medications for pain or for sleep. So we see a little bit of a drop-off in people registered in medical marijuana programs. Sometimes, like in Oregon, we see a huge drop-off where it's a very expensive fee. You know, some people don't want to be on a the list. They don't want to have to go to the doctor for approval. Um, um, but, yeah, it's, it's that's one reason I don't use the word recreational, because most of the people using adult-use cannabis are actually not using it for recreational purposes or for fun. They're using it as a medicine.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, if uh, again, you're open stage. So what would you like to say to the industry right now to get us on track to finally getting and passing some sort of federal legislation?
1: I'd say support our work. We our moving state bills, we've been responsible for the lead organization for eight of the 11 legalization laws that passed and most of the medical laws. We're very good at what we do, not to brag too much, but you know, we find good lobbyists, we find good organizers, we find good teams. We know that policy stuff inside and out, and the more state laws pass, the more opportunity there is, the more justice there is, and the more pressure there is in the federal government as well, I think a lot of people kind of have either a free rider opinion or an opinion this will just legalize itself. And it is a battle to pass any of these laws. Vermont's law took four or five years just to get the legalization law done. And these laws could pass in one year, they could pass in five years. How big of a budget we have, how big of a team we have is crucial to actually being able to pass these quickly. And I think we should know from medical cannabis that this isn't just going to magically pass on its own quickly because people support it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Karen. I can't believe I thank you enough for being here. She is a state policy director for the Marijuana Policy Project. And, you know, I can't say enough to, to say thank you for being a part of the movement and thank you for being a part of our podcast here today. And we want to have you back. Anytime you have anything to say, you know, you have a home here.
1: Really appreciate it. Thank you for all you've done.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.